had a couple of thoughts for a while. This is kind of uh, unintentionally kind of part two of the sermon, not last week, but the week before. But I want to start with a preamble. We need to do hard things. We need to do hard things. That used to be a lot easier in our world because everything we did was hard. But things have gotten easier. And I think somehow we've begun to think that the point of living and living a good life is to have the easy life. But the point is to do hard things. That applies to those who are here who are young, just as much as it does to those who have a few more years of experience. And some of you who've had a few more years of experience have said, well, I've had my turn doing my hard things, and now it's time to relax. I know I'm not there yet, but I disagree. I think now is precisely the time that you don't have so many other things in life competing for your attention. You need to continue doing the hard things. Not always, but I've done a lot of hard things in my life. I'm not trying to compare, but... One of the more difficult things that I did was I went to college. The college that I went to, Cedarville University in Ohio, is a Christian college. and They require you to get a minor in Bible, every student who goes to school there. I had two minors, but I had 15 hours of biblical studies in a variety of different topics. Many of you have asked over the years, how do I know so much? Well, there's really three reasons for that. One, I had a really, really good Sunday school and other teachers growing up in the church. Really good. Two is I've studied. I've worked hard to know what I know. But three is what I learned there. They had all kinds of things that were hard. I took a class in geology. It was really hard. It was so hard I got a D. Which for those of you who have a panic attack when you get anything less than an A, you can still be successful in life, so it'll be okay. That class was really, really hard. I did not do well in that class, but you know, I remember that class a lot. Because the man who taught it, taught it from a creationist perspective. I can't tell you all the names of the things that I was supposed to memorize and a few of the ones that I did memorize, but I can tell you that it had a real impact on my life. I remember the very difficult class I had, and just one of the activities, we had to get a piece of paper that was a certain size, larger than a normal sheet of paper, and we had to come into class one day, and for an hour and a half, or however long the class was, we had to bring our colored pencils and our rulers, and after we had studied a map of the world, we had to recreate it from memory. That was important. 
That sounds silly, but it was important. The man who taught that class was important. Another class I had, we had to memorize scripture. And we could pick one of four translations, and we had to memorize, I think it was 10 or 15 verses, and we had to come in on, from time to time and write them word for word, and you were allowed to miss so many words, and that included spelling, included punctuation, included everything. And if you didn't, you would not pass the class. Some of these hard things that we go through in life when we're younger seem silly to us. Why do I need to know the chemical makeup of this thing? Why do I need to know the difference between this country and where the Tigris River is? Why do I need to make sure that this color is shaded exactly for these six countries and slightly different shade of color for another? There's so many things in life we wonder, especially when young, why do we do them? Why does this matter? And I'll be the first among you to tell you that sometimes it really doesn't. I'll just be honest with you. But sometimes it does. Memorizing scriptures is one of those things that actually really matters. And I remember my freshman year in my dorm, memorizing Psalms 8, um, 3 through 5. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou hast visited him? For he has made him a little lower than the angels, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Why in particular I remember that verse so well, I don't know. But I do, and I've thought on it often. I don't know why this has had such an impact on me for about the last two weeks. But I want to talk about Psalms 8 and the, the part about encouraging you to do hard things. Listen, we, we were not put on this earth to be lazy and to be idle. We were put on this earth to do things. And the most rewarding things we can possibly do are the hard things. And those of you who have a few more years of experience than maybe some of the others who were here, I hope we'll nod your head when I say the most rewarding things in life have been sometimes the hard things. Let us not neglect to do the hard things. Psalms 8, let me read the whole thing. Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set the glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou hast visited him? For thou hast made a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
I want to look at these verses just for a few minutes today. And as I say so often, I want to put us in remembrance. And I want you to remember this week, this verse. And perhaps if the Lord leads you, I want you to do something hard this week. When I consider the heavens, when was the last time you looked up? I mean, really looked up. It's actually not natural for us. I've discussed this before. I looked it up. It's been about a year and a half. If you remember uh, from that sermon, I didn't write down the title of it, but I said that our natural field of vision is about 10% down. We naturally look about 10 degrees down, and we have a field of vision about 70 degrees down, but only about 40 degrees up. We naturally look down and forward. It's for good reason. You guys see where we're walking. You guys see what's around us. Kind of makes sense. But what that means is we don't look up very often unless we purposefully look up. This has gotten even worse in our society today. Not only from walking and driving and think about how we work, a lot of us. We look down at something. Think about when we're not working, what are we doing with our times? We're looking down at these little tiny boxes we have in our hands. We're always looking down, down, down. We're never actually looking up. You could say our lives keep us looking down all the time. In addition to that, we have this amazing invention called electricity. We're able to do things at night. But that also means that because of electricity and lights that we've ruined the night sky. Oh, it's still there. You just can't really see it. And so maybe we don't look up and consider the works of his hands very often. So the first question is, how often have you considered, how often have you looked up to see the great things that God has made and placed into the night sky? And unfortunately, even when we do look up, we don't see very clearly like we used to be able to. The scriptures tells us that, thou, that it is the works of his fingers that he placed all the stars and the moons and the moon. We only have one moon, but there's several like it. How insignificant. Stars. He has ordained them, it says. Ordained means to establish, to direct, to disperse. Now, I had to look some of this up, so don't get real excited, and I had some help with the math. We think there is about one septillion stars. That's 24 zeros. 24 zeros. That's how many stars we think there are. That's a lot of stars. Do you know how many he made? All of them. Do you know how many he ordained or put into their place? All of them. Do you know how many he knows? All of them. I don't think we fully appreciate that because I and 
probably like many of you have never really seen the full night sky and all of its true brilliance without any light or any barriers to see it. I also looked up, I was curious, what the internet seems to say about how many people have lived since we began. The number I got, and who knows if this is accurate, is 117 billion. But we'll use that just for the sake of argument here. That means that there's 100 billion stars for every single person that's ever lived. Put that in perspective. 100 billion stars for every single person that's ever lived. Isn't that amazing? Can you possibly even imagine? I, I, how do you even imagine this? How could you even begin to think that there are a hundred billion stars for every single person that we think ever lived? And whether I'm off by a couple of billion, it doesn't really matter. It's still unbelievable. It's still unfathomable that you look into the night sky and if possible, you could see all these stars and think there's a hundred billion for every single person who's ever lived, who's ever breathed and walked on this earth. It is absolutely astounding. <clears throat> it's no wonder that David, sitting, watching his father's sheep, being obedient to his father at night, would sit in the rocky hills of Israel, looking up at the sky, and say, wow. Night after night, David sat there, talking to God, listening to God, communing with God, understanding His place in the world. What a sense of wonder. When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, it brings David to an interesting question. What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man? This is mankind, by the way. This isn't a, this is a, a gender neutral Word And in fact, it actually carries with it even, even heavier weight. It's the word for mankind that Job often used to talk about how man is futile and insignificant in passing. It carries with it the idea that we are basically nothing. And when you consider one triquillion or however many, a septillion, whatever I said, then we are insignificant, aren't we? Of all of God's creation, of all the things that he's seen, I've traveled quite a bit, but I've seen such a small portion of the world. We don't even have a, a grasp of how big and diverse the world is. What's in its depths? What's in the bottom of the ocean? How many stars are actually out there? And yet here am I. And it begs a, an amazing question that we should all ask. We should stand before the grandeur that God has created and ask ourselves, what is, who am I? Did I get to stand here? What is mankind that you have created us? And I think deep down inside, we all ask this question when faced and presented with an amazing creation. Who am I? We are insignificant. We are short-lived. Our days are few and full of trouble. 
When David asks this question, this isn't one of nihilism. Nihilism is the uh, idea that everything in life is meaningless. There's no religion or morals. It's just you're just here. That's depressing, isn't it? I think it's depressing. You know what I think? I think the world thinks it's depressing, but I think that's exactly what's taught every day in our society, isn't it? You're just here by accident. Therefore, it doesn't matter. That's the obvious conclusion, isn't it? It's no wonder that we have so many people who are depressed. It's no wonder that we have so many young people who see no value in their own lives because they're taught as much. There is no value. You just happen to be here. You evolved from some little fish or an ape or something like that. And you figured out how to walk upright. And whatever the purpose of your life is, it's, it's to be brutish and short. Quote a playwright. We don't teach that there's value. We don't teach that we stand before an almighty God and he actually is mindful of us. What is man? I don't know. But in relation to him, apparently important. What am I? Absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. But to God, I am important. What are these small children that we see on TV being murdered? Valuable to God. What about the man who is hooked on drugs and living the most horrible life ever? Valuable to God. What about the young woman who is abused and neglected? Valuable to God. What about you sitting right here, listening? Valuable to God. See, David doesn't ask this question and come to the answer of, well, apparently nothing, and so I might as well just go on about my life and who cares what happens. He says, no, there is a reason that we are all here. There is value in the sight of the Lord. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you have visited him? David asks the question because he already knows the answer. Because David can stand before an almighty God looking at the amazing night sky that he's seen and know for a fact that he is here for a reason. He was created with purpose because God loves him and wants him to have a relationship with God. And you know what's true for David? If you go outside tonight, look at the sum of the exact same stars that he looked at, what was true for him thousands of years ago is also true for you individually today. Now think about that tonight when you go outside and find the one or two stars you can see left. Maybe David looked at those same stars and asked that question that you get to look at tonight. What is man that you are mindful of him? David knew, and David was in awe. David knew that God was mindful of him. What does that mean? That means that he cares for him. God thinks about us, about each of us, individually. Think about that for a minute. The God who made all the stars and everything you could possibly ever know, the world, space, however infinite that it is, the God who spoke all this into existence and took time to form you and breathe the Spirit of God into you, knows you, He considers you, He thinks about you. 
Is that not the message we should be telling all of our young people today? That there is a God and He loves you and He thinks about you? Not just in a passing way, but He considers you. He thinks about you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He made all of this to praise Him and to, for our enjoyment and for us to praise Him. <coughs> He's mindful. He cares. He knows us. One of the commentators I read put it this way. I thought it was really good, so I'm going to quote it for you. The contemplation of the heavens in all their splendor forces the psalmist to wonder that God should choose so insignificant a thing as man for the object of his special regard. Why did God choose us? Why did God choose you to be so focused on? Why does he think about you? Because he loves you. Because there's a reason that you're here. Because he gave you part of who he is. So it says he has made you a little lower than the angels. And the King James, that's probably an error in translation. Angels, the word there is really Elohim, which always means God. So he's made you a little lower than him. What do we mean by that? Well, we talked about it two weeks ago. You have reason. And will, you can act, you can speak, you have knowledge, and you have an immortal soul. None of these things do the animals have. God has given you part of who He is so that we can live and be who we are. He has made us just a little lower than Him. has crowned us with glory and honor. So when I told you at the beginning, I think we need to do hard things. And then I told you that God loves us and made us individually. What have you done with these things? What have you done with your reason? What have you done with your knowledge? What have you done with your ability to speak? What have you done with your ability to recreate things and make beautiful works of art or music or conversation or writings? What have you done with the time that you have to be with others? Have we worked hard to use these gifts that God has made us? Or have we looked down too much to notice? What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you have visited him. Just as a reminder, in case you don't trust me. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image he created them, male and female, he created them. You see, we are made in the image of God, which is why he comes and wants to know us. 
Every single person. Young or old, no matter the skin color, no matter how tall or small we are, no matter how smart we are, we're made in the image of God. And He cares about us more than 100 billion stars. And He came for us. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. We have been crowned with honor. We are sons and daughters of Adam. We are descendants of Adam and Eve. We are the same as David who sat and watched his father's sheep. We look at the same stars. God has not changed yesterday and today and forever while we have changed. But I think we need to look up more. We need to look unto the Father, unto perfection. Verse 5, as I said, carries... I'm sorry, verse 4 carries with it a double meaning. The Son of Man that thou hast visited him. Do you know who visited? Jesus Christ. David didn't know it yet. David knew that God had visited with us, but he didn't know that God in the flesh had visited with us. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, please. Hebrews chapter 2, read verse 1 through 10. Therefore we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward... How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was conformed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and the diverse miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjugation the world to come, wherever we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that thou hast visited him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crowned him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. But now we see not yet all things under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom all, whom all, for it became him for whom are all things 
and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. See, the writer of Hebrews is tying these important concepts together. And he is saying, yes, God made us, and he made us a little lower than the angels, a little lower than God. All these attributes of God that we do have, and then we sinned, and we messed it all up, and are in need of a Redeemer. And God saw fit to then make his only son to be fully God and fully man, to come to earth to pay the recompense or the penalty or the fee for my sin and all the sins in the past and those who will be sinning in the future. He has paid all of this so that we can come to know him and make Jesus Christ the captain of our salvation. Do we see the beauty in this? Do we ever look up Unto God. The works of the hands has put all things under Him. Jesus Christ is the answer for all of it. All of it. You want peace in the Middle East? He's the answer. You want peace in your home? He's the answer. You want peace at work? He's the answer. You want peace in your life? Then look unto him who is the answer and consider that he is considering you. And sometimes I think if we would just quiet ourselves for just a moment and think about him, we realize he's thinking about us all the time. Whether we can see the stars or not, whether we can see anything or not, God is thinking of us. God who made the heavens and the earth wants to know you personally and sent his son to die for you. He wants you to consider the heavens, the works of his hands, the amazing things that he's made and the one he sent to redeem us. And the only question is, will you be mindful of him? Will you be mindful of him? We have so many things jockeying for our attention. So many things. So many flashy things. So many things saying, come, look over here. We need to take a minute and we need to look up. We need to break the natural gaze, which is downward, and look up to him. We need to do the hard work of controlling our own lives and our own selves and looking unto him. We need to ask ourselves and consider the same things. What is man that you are mindful of him? We need to consider how we are made a little lower than the angels. And we need to consider that God came to rescue us. And until you stand before God and feel small and insignificant and can in 100% faith say the things that David said, 
They're actually God's enemy. It's what the scripture says. But he still loves you. He still considers you. He's still calling you to come to him. Some of you need to come home. Some of you need to realize and stand before an almighty God who made everything. Some of you need to look up and consider all that he made and consider that he still knows you individually and wants you individually to come to him. And some of you need to come. Others of you need to start doing some hard things. And yet others need to be encouraged to continue doing the hard things. Because we'll have plenty of time to uh, retire later, if you will. I'm going to close with a quote my grandmother used to say all the time. Only when life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Everything else goes away. Eventually, the moon and the stars go away too. You know who doesn't go away? Jesus Christ. You won't go away either. You will go away to one of two places, but you will not vanish. You will either spend eternity enjoying a reward that you don't deserve, or you're spending an eternity experiencing punishment that you do deserve. If the Lord is speaking to you today and telling you to look up, I beg you to look up. Talk to Him. Tell Him what you need. Confess your sins. And seek him. Let's have a